Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Melvin, and I just want Halloween candy. Now. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Netflix's The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, Season 1. If you haven't already listened to it, I just covered the original film for The Dark Crystal on Cinematic Doctrine, and while it isn't necessary you check that episode out, I would recommend it anyway. It'll help you understand my thoughts on The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance much more, as the story in Age of Resistance is a prequel to the 1982 film. I'm going to try and save the majority of my thoughts until after the break, but I'll just come right out and say it. The first season for The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance is a masterpiece. Simply fantastic. Gripping from the start. Compelling throughout. Emotionally engaging. I don't think there's a whole lot I can say beyond you have to check this series out. But I know there are plenty of naysayers who will go. But isn't it a weird puppet show? It's like weird and scary. Open your mind a bit, get past that, and dive in. If you have the smallest amount of creativity, empathy, and passion for storytelling, you'll be carried away into a magical series. It's amazing. But I've already said too much. Let's catch everyone up to speed so you know what The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance Season 1 is all about. The Darkening is upon Thra. An unbiased, unnatural blight plagues the land and leaves crops barren and livestock mad. Something is wrong. Something has changed. And as the young Gelfling Deet feeds the wild creatures within the caves of Groton, a massive, commonly docile creature attacks her, causing her to flee deep within the caves. Little does she know a great vision is to come upon her, and the future before her is one of war, famine, and death. Meanwhile, above ground, as the tithing season arrives, the Skeksis, rulers of Thra, lords of the Crystal of Truth, are displeased. Why are the gifts the Gelflings providing so small? Do they not love their rulers anymore? Are they so disrespectful that they cannot gift the lords their due diligence? They must provide their portion by whatever means necessary, even at their own expense. And yet, Brea, a Gelfling princess of the Vapra clan, is empathetic to the suffering of her people, and is appalled by the nasty behavior exhibited by the lords of the crystal. The law does not dictate such rude behavior, such uncouth attitudes, such evil demands. She throws herself into the library, studying the old laws of Skeksis rule, eager to find the truth behind such heinous laws. Surely Thra is entering a new age, and that's unacceptable for the Skeksis. Their greedy, vile talons need more, more food, more jewelry, more life. Their time, they fear, is coming to an end, and as their vulture-like bodies grow old, they fear they can no longer feed upon the crystal of truth to extend their life. And in their urgency, they seek another way into eternal life, no matter the cost. As the Skeksis decide on their next course of action, Rian, a Gelfling soldier in the court of the Skeksis castle and son to the captain of the guard, finds that a spitter, an eight-legged monstrous beast, has invaded the castle grounds. Employing the help of his close friends Mira and Gurjan, 
The three of them explore the castle in the hopes of finding this foul beast, soon falling upon secrets hidden by the Skeksis deep within the castle catacombs. What horrors lie ahead in their adventure? What causes the darkening to spread? And can Deet warn the other clans of the tragedy ahead? Will Brea find a means of peace between the Skeksis and Gelfling? Or is peace no longer an option? Will anyone believe Rian of the terrors beneath the castle? Or will the Skeksis achieve immortality? The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is rated TVPG. Each episode makes mention of flashing lights for those who may suffer epileptic seizures, but it doesn't mention anything else which I find interesting. Here's a brief Melvin certificate to help you learn a bit more about the content in Age of Resistance. Violence, frightening images, and thematic elements. The violence is interspersed throughout the series, ranging from sword fights to outright cruelty. The frightening images have to do with the Skeksis, and not only is their visual presence horrific, their demeanor is undeniably evil. In fact, the Skeksis are some of the evilest villains I've ever watched. That isn't to say they are cartoonishly evil, which is funny considering they're puppets. No, they're downright sinister, cunning liars and cheats. And the lengths they'll go to pursue their wants and desires is frightening in its own right. Almost every scene of terror is due in part from a Skeksis, and their actions are likely more evil than a TVPG rating implies. To that end, I would recommend looking at this show as a TV-14 show, not a children's show. And also, it's important to note that because they're puppets and committing such evil acts, there is a strange realism to it. It almost feels more tangible when they're actually being terrible to each other, which is really interesting. And the thematic elements are just the massive set pieces that take place from certain fights, different creatures, and anything particularly exciting. Also, there are some side characters that are in a homosexual relationship, so that's something I feel like I should mention. Nothing explicit takes place. The most that happens is some hand-holding. Hopefully that puts the content of this series in perspective. But before we dig into The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance Season 1, I also wanted to share real quick that if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, be sure to leave a review on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. You can also follow the Facebook page for updates on movie news, upcoming episodes, and my own shenanigans. Also, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can join other patrons and vote on a movie I review once a month, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. Any amount is appreciated with multiple tiers to choose from, all of which go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast it can be. So, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, as I said, is simply fantastic. It's amazing. I loved every minute. I couldn't get enough of it. Remember in the last episode where I talked about the Dark Crystal movie and I mentioned that my wife wasn't super into the film? Well, she wasn't interested at all in continuing into the series, so I started watching it while she was at work. All it took was one episode to convince me that I had to text her and say, we're watching this together. So I waited. We started it over, and by the end, Catherine was going, I am so glad you convinced me to watch this, Melvin. You are the best. You're so smart. You're the greatest. I may have embellished that a little, but it doesn't change the fact that I was right. She would love it, and she did. So, yeah. Love you, Kat. It goes without saying that Age of Resistance exhibits some of the best puppeteers in the industry. From the highly expressive motions of Brea, Rian's inability to sit still, or Deet's constantly inquisitive nature, these aren't qualities that are intrinsically crafted into each puppet's face. Nor would I argue that they're molded with these choices in mind. 
I would bet a lot of these quirks came into their own as each puppeteer collaborated and worked together to give each character life. And I say work together because some of the most complex models demanded more than one puppeteer, and for certain shots, it demanded the help of two or three people controlling different limbs, movement of the mouth, and even remotely controlling expressions across the face. Everyone needed to be in sync, and that's not only an exhibition of masterful puppetry, but teamwork. Immediately after finishing the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, my wife and I watched The Crystal Calls, a making-of documentary detailing some of the difficulty that arises when working a single puppet with multiple people, and one of the best examples came from describing how to emote together. Jim Henson pioneered a great way to perform puppetry on film. As a puppeteer holds the puppet in the air, beneath them, or somewhere in front of them, will rest a monitor that shows exactly what the camera sees. That way, they can depend on the monitor to show them exactly what their puppets look like, how it's performing, and whatnot. This is helpful when a team is controlling a puppet as one puppeteer may be controlling the body and mouth, while another is off to the side controlling the micro-expressions upon the face of the puppet with a remote controller. For instance, if a puppet is supposed to look sad, the puppeteer tilts its head forward and puts the puppet's hand against its face. Someone with a remote control will then close the eyes of the puppet in response. However, the man controlling the eyes may begin opening them a moment earlier than the primary puppeteer was expecting. Thankfully, looking at the monitor, he can see this, and is able to have the puppet emote accordingly. As the eyes begin to open, the puppeteer lifts the puppet's head and lowers its hands. That's why everyone needs to be in sync. They have to make sure what the puppet does makes sense. Otherwise, things will be really awkward to watch, and when you're trying to convince people to watch your show about puppets in this day and age, that can be really difficult. And I think that leads well into something that really impressed me with the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, and that's confidence. There's an outpouring of confidence at every level of production for this project, not least of which is evidenced by the art medium it embraces. This isn't simply a production made by masterclass puppeteers. It's filled to the brim with brilliant storytellers, an amazing voice cast, wonderful music, stunning visuals, all exhibiting a level of confidence that's infectious. I'm sure producing a series of this scale, with this much work, demanded a lot from everyone. And there are no doubts in my mind that some people had serious worries that things wouldn't work out in the end. But the final product speaks to something completely different. From start to finish, there's a magical quality that simply says, don't worry, we know what we're doing, and we know how to do it well. All you need to do is let us do our job. And if you sit back and let Age of Resistance carry you into the beautiful yet harsh world of Thra, I can guarantee you'll be pressing that next episode button with extreme vigor. I know we did, including a few late nights to watch one more episode. It was pretty bad. <laughs> And look, it's not just the magic of the medium, the magic of puppetry, it's the story. It's so rich, layered, complex, real, and that alone is quite impressive. From Rianne's quest for justice, Brea's rich relationship with her sisters, and Diet's first experience above the caves of Graten, there's so much to be told and yet not a single stone is left unturned. Or even the Skeksis, who are simply diabolical, hateful, and evil creatures, have incredibly deep characters and interactions with one another. How the Chamberlain seems to have ulterior motives while also advancing the continued reign of Skeksis' rule. Or the scientist and his heinous pursuits of machinery and magic, drunk on the image of power, yet undermined by the overwhelming presence of the Emperor. 
They're characters you love to hate for more reasons than they're simply evil. You love to hate them because there's so much beneath their jewelry-adored cloaks. Which, as I say it out loud, all this is present in the 1982 film The Dark Crystal. It's clear that every character has a richness to them, but it's unfortunately limited to a 90-minute runtime. That doesn't mean you don't start to notice layovers of the creative process during the film, because you can see some of the deep lore and history of The Dark Crystal. It's just that, unfortunately, you can only do so much when you're making a movie. And of all stories, to go back and dig in deeper, The Dark Crystal is perfect for that. The foundations are there, the history of Thra is there, Everything's been detailed over years of extra material, from graphic novels to young adult books. The Dark Crystal was ready for this sort of treatment, and everyone at the Jim Henson Company knew it. So they ran with it. They dug into the deep lore of the Dark Crystal and gave us a grand epic about seven clans of Gelfling and their political and social economics, the exploitative relationship between the Skeksis and the Gelfling, and the often strange yet sage-like disposition of Mother Agra an ancient being who often repeats that, I have always been old. I was born old. And they not only expand on great lore, they create relatable, likable characters. I talked about how we all love to hate things, and hating the Skeksis is made very easy with Age of Resistance. But there are plenty of characters to love. Rian's quest is virtuous and heroic, but I found myself most engaged with both Deet and Brea's adventures. I love Deet's explorative nature as she comes to term with new things at every corner, from the bizarre ecology of the sun-drenched land above her home, or even the pain of learning how the different clans treat one another, how they ostracize those who are different and unlike them, despite being Gelfling one and the same. And I loved Brea's growth from dutiful princess to seeker of truth as she takes her inquisitive, literature-loving brain to work on solving puzzles, engaging verbal conflicts with confidence, and overcoming issues that she otherwise may never see if she comfortably pursued a life of royal pleasantries. And, and Hop, oh my goodness, Podling Hop, wonderful warrior Hop, the spoon-wielding paladin of the Vapra clan, sworn defender of Deet the graceful and lover of romance and battle, Hop, the greatest character to be featured in anything ever. Give me Podling justice or give me... Death! How did I get this spoon? But anyways, other than Hup, I've only mentioned the main characters because if I delved into the supporting characters, this review would go on for 40, maybe 50 minutes. I could talk endlessly about everyone, and nobody has time for that. But my goodness, every character has so much more to them than simply, let's get our characters from point A to point B. They don't just feed our characters' adventure. They feed the world. They grow it help build it in a way that feels authentic and real. And perhaps even become your favorite characters in the show. Seriously, where did the spoon come from? And just to make a brief aside, they do this without a single human role in the film. Let me repeat, there are no humans in the world of the Dark Crystal. And that alone petrifies most production companies. It's why every Transformers film, apart from being terrible, has pointless human drama. Nobody has confidence to rely on non-human characters to carry a story. And I can totally understand that sentiment, but if you write good characters, it doesn't matter what form they take. If your audience has any semblance of empathy, they'll relate to your characters. It's that simple. And again, that feeds into the confidence factor. The Jim Henson Company had a lot of confidence that they could successfully pull off creating a massive fantasy tale with rich characters. 
then trusted that, even if they aren't humans, people will be engaged. And I don't know about you, but my wife and I were engaged non-stop. Now before I close this episode down, I wanted to get into that confidence bit, because I wasn't kidding when I called it infectious. I'm an artsy guy. I like to do artsy things. Whether I'm writing one of my short stories, thinking of a cool project to work on, or do something as simple as making my apartment look nicer. It's just who I am. And yet, I often get bogged down by a parasitic self-consciousness. It's the smallest little doubt that whatever I'm working on, from something as big as that great American novel I'll write someday, or moderately cleaning the house for some guests, let alone my wife, I feel as though I won't match up to the expectations that people have for me. Even this podcast is something I struggle with on the daily, and anyone who checked out my episode on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would know that I'm pretty open about my doubts and worries. Heck, anyone who listens to this podcast knows my doubts and worries. But the thing is, it isn't that people have expectations for me. It's that I set some sort of proverbial expectation that is virtually unattainable. Because of that, I am in a perpetual awareness of how inferior of that expectation I am. So I wallow through my work, fail to see my progress, and worry that it's of little consequence. That's no way to be a content creator, let alone a human being. But it's an easy trap to fall into. And to be clear, I don't mean I'm setting goals for myself and being overwhelmed by them. Setting goals is good. It's a great way to get work done, motivate oneself, and practically visualize progress and achievements. What I'm talking about is overt self-criticism, the kind that overextends into a selfish, me-focused criticism that warrants no improvement. A perfect example of this is saying, I, Melvin, have wanted to finish a novel for years, but I can never quite get it done. Followed with, well, I did finish that one book, but that wasn't a real book. Also, it's not very good. Not only am I refusing to admit I've attained my goal, I'm following it up by making it unachievable, by looking back at my previous work and self-denying myself the satisfaction of having completed something. I'm going, but that wasn't enough. Which begs the question, when is enough enough? Now, this whole train of thought may seem out of left field, but I don't think so. When we watch other people's movies or read other people's stories, it's easy to look at that and go, I could never write anything like that. Or even more practically, when we walk into work and see our peers doing an exceptional job, we think to ourselves, there he is, at it again, overshadowing me. There's no way I could keep up with that, so why bother trying? Well, here I am talking about a show that I just loved, and I'm talking absolutely loved watching. I was so excited by the show that I restarted it with my wife. Then I was excited to talk about it for this episode and write all my thoughts. Then backpedaled because that would make for a very long episode. Then I couldn't help but tell all my friends they should watch it. As someone who wants to write stories that connect to people like this one connected to me, it would be very easy to look at the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance and say to myself, I could never do something like that. But my reaction was the exact opposite. I watched this and went, they did that? Oh my gosh, I can't believe they just did that. Holy cow, that was a risk. I can't wait to see where this is going. And it wasn't just a magical, engaging experience. It was watching it as a story that took risk, seeing it as a project that took risk, seeing it as an entire production filled with risk, and something clicked while watching it. Risk takes confidence. And so many people working on Age of Resistance were confident in this project. Whether it were the 3D model designers for the puppets, the writers locked away mixing whiskey and coffee to stay equal parts relaxed and alert, 
I'm assuming. Or director Louis Letterer, who stood as an example of sheer excitement, charisma, and creative vision amidst an incredibly strenuous and difficult production period. And as someone who daily leans heavily upon the cross of my Savior Jesus Christ, I can't help but think to myself, why am I not confident like this? Where did my confidence go, or what am I hoping in to achieve my goals? It's a good question, to be sure, but a simple answer for all of them. If God created me, gave me passions and talents, and cultivated them for years and years, because I've wanted to write since I was a child, and have more or less been doing so, then what in the world do I have to worry about? If the Lord wants me to write, and write in a way that glorifies Him, then it's going to happen. No doubt about it. And oftentimes when I think like this, I find myself wanting to say, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but someday. But I think the reality is that it is today, it is tomorrow, and it's going to be every day. When I reflect on that, I realize that I've consistently written more in the last seven months than I have in years. And that includes writing episodes for Cinematic Doctrine, as well as writing fiction. And that's happening right now. And it's such a risk to put yourself out there, whether you're writing poetry, music, your great American novel, or making a 10-episode fantasy series featuring nothing but puppets. You're opening yourself to criticism in a way that can't be experienced by idly passing the time with simple work and leisure. You're exposing the way you think, the way you speak, the way you see the world in such an explicit manner, you might as well bear yourself to a crowded auditorium. When it gets right down to it, truly, if you're exposing your heart, and your heart is filled with the love of Christ, what is there to fear? Take risk. Take risk knowing that your risk isn't in vain. Take risk knowing that someone may read your heaviest thoughts through poetry. Take risk knowing that someone might misunderstand your overly complex novel about love. And take risk with someone falling in love with your simple music that brings endless joy and peace. Take risk in the confidence of Christ. Take risk knowing that Christ was born with a passion and that passion was honoring God the Father and loving his church. Take risk knowing that Christ's passion led him to very dark places, one with a crown of thorns and nails in his hands. Take risk knowing that Christ's work was fulfilled and rewarded with eternal life from God the Father. And take risk knowing that Christ's reward has been imparted to those who believe in him and that those who delight in him can do great works in his name. Take risk knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? All right, I'm going to leave the spoon right here. And with that, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, what did you think of it? Were you as blown away as I was, or am I just hyping up another terrible Netflix series? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let me know in the comments below or shoot me an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, jump on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page and be sure to follow for updates on episodes, movie news, and my usual shenanigans. You can also support the show by leaving a review for Cinematic Doctrine on your respective podcast app. And if that's not enough, head on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can join other patrons and vote on a movie I review once a month, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. Any amount is appreciated with multiple tiers to choose from. All of it will go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast it can be. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. 
Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.